Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. It's Monday, August 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Industry Focus, Christine Harges. Happy Monday. Hey, Chris. Happy hello, Monday. Hello, hello. <clears throat> We're going to be talking big-time pharmaceuticals, which is why I went to Christine first thing this morning and begged and pleaded with her to, <laughs> to come be on the show. You I know was, how much I, I hate, listen, <laughs> hate talking about pharmaceuticals. I saw that <laughs> come across Twitter this morning, and I thought, hmm, I better start digging into this, because I have a couple of maybe sort of 50,000-foot thoughts there, but I'm, I'm really glad that Christine is here to sort of take this one, because it, it's nice to have an actual People actually expert? know what they're talking yeah. about on the show. Yeah, that's how much I love the Market <laughs> Foolery listeners. I went and got another host to come in and talk. Um, so, we're going to talk Merger Monday. We're going to dig into Fitbit and a couple other things. We're going to start with um, where we were a week ago, which was a week ago, Jason, you and I were talking about the fact that Jeff Immelt, the recently former CEO of General Electric, had emerged as the frontrunner to be the CEO of Uber. And you and I had a few questions about that. Chief among them for me was, why would Jeff Emmelt want to do that when he can probably just kick yeah. back and enjoy his retirement? And then uh, the news broke yesterday, uh, sort of middle of the day, Jeff Emmelt came out and said he had taken his name out of the running uh, to be CEO. Um, and now we know who it's going to be. It's uh, And I'm going to botch this pronunciation, so bear with me. Dara Kazrashahi. Kazra Shahi, I think I got that. I think that's right. Um, Who is currently the CEO of Expedia. Yeah. And has now been tapped to be the CEO of Uber. And uh, shares of Expedia taking a little bit of a hit today. Uber is private, so we have no idea what the impact on the stock would be. But I have to believe that while he might not be the first choice that the board of directors at Uber had, they are probably pretty pleased that he's accepting the job. I'd imagine. I mean, I think for for him, I mean, I mean, it seems this is a really interesting situation because I mean, for him, it seems like probably the potential upside here outweighs any potential downside. I mean, if he goes in here and he pulls it off, and that a, really looks great on his track record. He's if, a hero. If, yeah. If he doesn't, then it's gonna pro- there's probably gonna be a lot of I told you so's out there anyway, because I mean, it's it's pretty clear that Uber is a a culture in crisis. I mean, on the flip side, he's been with Expedia for I think about twelve years now. He's done very well. Their shareholders have done very well with him, um, and he's really, I think, done a lot of great things with that business. Focused on a huge market opportunity in online travel, they've gone a lot of different directions with it. Now, with that said, I mean, online travel is facing a little bit of a, a unique situation today with the advent of things like Airbnb. Um, Uber kind of plays into that a little bit, I guess. And so for him, I think the most interesting dynamic is that he's going from a public company to a private company, but it's a private company that's basically <laughs> like a public company because they're going to be in the headlines all the time anyway. So, like the attraction of being with a private company and being able to kind of just stay under the radar and get your business done, I don't know that he's going to necessarily have that luxury here. Um, it They had to dangle a very Big carrot out there to bring him over here. I mean, just in like unvested stock options alone with with Expedia, it was something close to like two hundred million dollars. 
So this guy's getting paid in a big way to do this. And money, obviously, does a lot of the talking. He's still a pretty young guy, has a, a pretty big family, and so I think he's uh, maybe up for a challenge, and, and it will be very interesting to see what he, what he does here. Well, and Christine, to that point, even if he's not the first choice, He's smart enough to realize the situation that the board of directors at Uber is in. And so, beyond whatever compensation he's getting, don't we have to assume that he is also going to take the corner office with a pretty hot hand? That he can essentially go in there and effect, at least in the short term, he can effect whatever changes he wants because they do have a serious culture problem at that company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you guys were already saying, like this is a company that has so many issues that from here, whatever he does, hopefully it's not going to get worse. So it's almost a good situation to be in. It won't be easy, but really, regardless of what he does going forward, there's there's really little downside. So to me, I think the more <laughs> the at least as interesting um, narrative that's going to play out here is what happens to Expedia. In, in oh, that's leadership. not what I thought you were about to say. But because keep going. Um, I mean, he's he's been with the company for twelve some odd years. I don't know that there's really a clear number two in in that executive chain there. And then when you look at sort of the history with Expedia and TripAdvisor, some of the challenges TripAdvisor is facing today, I don't think those are challenges uh, because of poor leadership. I think Stephen Coffer, the founder and CEO of TripAdvisor, is a pretty smart guy. Um, it, I, I just will be very interested to see what this what this leadership hunt for Expedia turns into because that is going to be a really important position to fill, and I don't think there is sort of an, uh, sort of an obvious uh, player out there. I don't know that Coffer I would call him obvious, but I think you had your mind has to at least go in that direction. I mean, he's someone who's very familiar with that industry to begin with. And there have been a lot of concerns out there with TripAdvisor as, as to how far they can kind of go on their on, on their own. Are they a potential acquisition target? I mean, they probably are. I think more likely than not acquired at some point, just because they have such a valuable network of uh, information. Um, it was part of the Expedia family before. Perhaps it could be once again. See, in that sense, it is the opposite of what we've just talked about with Uber, where there are so many problems that, uh, as you said, Christine. He can hardly do worse um, than where they've gotten to this point from the culture standpoint. Uh, as you indicated, Jason, whoever's going to be next in the corner office at Expedia, they got a tough act to follow. So, good luck to whoever that person is. Where I thought you were going to go is the most interesting thing from here is Travis Kalnick. Because yeah. up until throughout this whole process, Travis Kalnick has been sort of putting the word out there through his various press contacts in Silicon Valley I'm going to be back, I'm going to be running the company again. And at least for the foreseeable future, that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, and when you go up to a when you go into a situation where you have a lot of employees who are very loyal to former leadership, that makes it very difficult because you're kind of going in there and people have already made their decision without really seeing what you're going to do. Um, so I mean, I think that uh, that that's certainly going to be a challenge for Khazra Shahi. Um, again, time will tell. Uh, but let's also not forget with Expedia, whoever jumps into that executive suite has, still has to deal with Priceline, uh, the, the by far and away leader in the online travel space. So just a lot of different different uh, sort of interesting implications here with all of these uh, sort of musical chairs. All right, let's get to why we're calling it Merger Monday, uh, living up to its name. Gilead Sciences is buying Kite Pharma 
for the tidy sum of $12 billion in cash. That is a nearly 30% premium off of Kite's closing price on Friday. And shares of Gilead Science is up about 2.5% this morning, Christine, which, at least on the surface, that indicates to me that the reaction on Wall Street is they got a good price. Yes and no. I, people have been waiting for Gilead Sciences to make an acquisition for so long, for years. and Why is that, by the way? Because they have so, so much cash. And this is a company that did very, very well initially in making a name for itself in treating HIV. It then got into the hepatitis C business and did very, very well there. But it turns out when you're curing people of hepatitis C, you're kind of going through your entire market and eliminating it. And so sales there have very much slowed down. There's a lot of concern about where their next growth drivers will be. And meanwhile, they're just sitting on billions and billions in cash on the balance sheet. They have something like $22 billion in cash and short-term investments. They have another $15 billion in long-term investments. And they've had this for a while as they continue to kick off more and more free cash flow. So you have your analysts sitting there looking at Gilead, looking at the market out there, which is filled with companies doing really interesting things in the biotech space. And they're saying, why have you guys not bought anyone yet? And so today when I see Gilead up only 2%, that's my reaction is, why have they, why is Gilead not up more? This is what they've been waiting for. So in some regard, I think the market might actually think that maybe they overpaid here. So, in terms of Kite, what is in their portfolio that makes Gilead pull the trigger on them as opposed to some other smaller pharmaceutical company? Gilead has been saying for a while that they want to get into the oncology space, and they attempted to do that on their own. They were not terribly successful. They had one drug approved. It didn't really do that well. And so, this is not surprising that they are going for a player in the cancer space. What Kite does is they make something called CAR-T drugs, and that basically re-engineers this type of white blood cell that you have that protects the body. It makes it better trained to spot cancer cells and fight them, and then it puts it back into your body after that re-engineering to try to fight off some different conditions. Uh, for example, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is the first one that they're looking at. Hopefully, the drug that they have created for that disease will be approved by November 29th of this year, which would be very exciting and also kind of speaks to how smart the timing of this acquisition is, where it's looking very, very good for this drug to be approved. It had great clinical trial results. A similar drug out of Novartis was recently recommended for approval by the FDA's advisor. Committee. So, by all means, it looks like this drug will be approved, but given that it hasn't yet been approved, it is probably coming at a good time for Gilead to swoop in and get an okay price here. Yeah, I, I think when you invest in the space, and I mean, I've, I've looked at these companies before just as sort of leaders in, in that biofarm market, and it's, it's really tricky. I feel like you have to, these companies have to walk that fine line of like coming up with ways to save the world. Yet not looking too terribly greedy in the process. Like I don't think that's always a delicate, uh, always an easy balance to strike. And I think Mylan is a pretty good example of a company recently. I mean, obviously they were under the microscope because of the EpiPen, and, yeah. and I don't know that that ever really fully got fleshed out there. But but I do feel like that the to me like the only way that seems reasonable to invest in this space is to invest in the biggest players that have the most resources. And like you were saying, I mean they have. All of this capital at their disposal. I mean, it's a nice problem to have, but yeah, as a shareholder, eventually you want to see him try to invest that. And, and to me, I mean, cancer, you know, unfortunately, is one of the biggest long term trends out there. I mean, that's just not going away anytime soon. And so when you see a company this big 
making those kinds of investments, generally speaking, I think you got to be pretty happy about it. I, I, like you, was a little surprised that the market wasn't reacting a little bit more to the upside on, on uh, Gilead's part, but maybe it will later. So, looking ahead to the next conference call, I'm assuming at least some of the questions on the call will be about this acquisition. It's expected to close in the fourth quarter of this year. Is the drumbeat going to continue? Like, is this, uh, this going to be something where it's perfectly reasonable to expect analysts to ask, okay, great, yeah, fine, what else? Yeah, I think that's perfectly fair. They already did have a conference call earlier this morning about the acquisition. Uh, answered plenty of questions from the analysts about you know the the strategic direction of the company and the types of things that we've been hearing asked for years now of Gilead Sciences. And I think the pressure will continue. They still have a ton of cash sitting there, and I, I, I think this is probably just the beginning for them. If they want something that's going to truly move the needle, they're going to need to keep going. All right, we'll stick with health shares of Fitbit up. 6% today. The company unveiled its new smartwatch, which retails for $300 and is being compared to the Apple Watch, or at least sort of Fitbit's version uh, from a price standpoint with the Apple Watch. I'm, I'm guessing by the smiles I see around the table, there's a lot of skepticism here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get in here and say. You know, like I know it all. I mean, I don't clearly, but I mean, I feel like they're just doubling down on dumbness. I mean, this to me is just I, no, I, no, no. It's not a dumb watch. It, it's a smart watch. It seems like it's just so, so poised to fail for so many different reasons. I mean, I, I like I've never been a big fan of the smartwatch market in general, and I mean, I think I've always felt like there's room for it out there. I think when the Apple Watch came out. Said I think it would do okay. I don't think it's going to be kind of a leader for Apple, but it'll do fine because it's got a great brand. And I think that more or less has sort of been the case. Um, to me, like I, I just I mean, to see Fitbit try to get in there and actually bring a a product to market that is more expensive than an Apple device it is utterly baffling to me. And and I I just they already have a reputation for making fairly cheap devices. Like they're not known for premium hardware like Apple is known for premium hardware and Apple is already having to concede some on pricing with their smartwatch. So, I mean, maybe this works out. Maybe I'm missing something and I've tried to think of it from every angle. My prediction is this probably does not meet their expectations. Uh, they probably will have to cut prices on this thing sooner rather than later and they probably will be right back to uh, trying to figure out how to move this company forward once this thing proves to not really be the silver bullet they're hoping it is. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is not an unexpected move out of Fitbit. We've known for a while that they are trying to get into the smartwatch area. Technically, they kind of already did with the Blaze, but because that didn't have a third-party app platform, it didn't really fall into that same category. Honestly, that differentiation means very little to me. Uh, all of their products kind of blend together as one at a certain point. And I think that's exactly what the problem is. It's not just the Fitbit lineup that blends together and it's like, oh, wearables, well, maybe I want to track my steps, maybe I don't. But you see other competitors out there. There's a, a Chinese company that's making very, very cheap wearables that do exactly the same thing. And so at some point you are just going to have so many pricing concessions that I don't I don't really see where this company can really stand out except and here here's my butt. I and this is coming from a, a biased healthcare space uh, for me personally, but that is where they could actually stand out if they are able to pull off 
initiatives like, say, the partnership with Medtronic and diabetes and become a really indispensable part of people with very specific conditions, lifestyles, at that point, it's an essential product, and then it can charge a premium. But for the mass market, I just don't see it. So I think she's spot on, and I think we've seen at least Tim Cook, uh, in, it, to some degree, has been working with health insurance companies to try to develop that that type of relationship where where you you can bring you can show the value that the Apple Watch provides for certain people with certain conditions, and so that to me is is really the best opportunity for any of these smart uh, smartwatch companies is to get out there and really show the value. Work with insurance companies. Insurance companies can figure out ways to help sort of defray the costs of the actual devices, so that they're a bit more attractive to consumers. And I think at the end of the day, if you give a consumer the choice between an Apple product or a Fitbit product, I think probably nine out of ten are going to go Apple, just because of the brand awareness alone. Not to mention, it probably is better hardware anyway. So, to the point you just made, Christine, part of my thinking on this was whatever happens. With this new product, we're going to know quickly how this works for them because we're about to turn the calendar over to September. If this is at all a measurable hit for Fitbit, we're going to know heading into the holidays. But it sounds like maybe I should give them just a little bit more time because while I think that remains to be true, what you're saying in terms of Connecting with a, a larger entity like Medtronic or something like that, like that seems like a more longer-term play. Yeah, absolutely. You're right to split up into short-term, long-term. In the short-term, you're going to see product cycles and new devices coming out all the time, and this is pretty typical for the market to react and send the company up a couple percentage points because a new product was unveiled. There's, to me, nothing surprising about this product at all. But any sort of big jump from Fitbit is going to come from the health space, in my own opinion. Before we get to our next story, I want to say thanks to our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home and refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. And to get started, just go to rocketmortgage.com fool. That's rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Uh, as I said last week, uh, one housekeeping note, it's going to be a short week for us here at Market Foolery. Uh, going to be off for the next couple of days, but back on Thursday. But hey, fortunately, there's Industry Focus, which is the other daily podcast here at The Motley Fool. So, um, you can get more Christine Harges later in the week. And you actually will be getting Michael Douglas with the usual Todd Campbell on Wednesday talking about the Gilead Sciences acquisition. Oh, nice. There you go. An even deeper dive. Um, Amazon officially today became the owner of Whole Foods Market, and uh, Amazon Prime members are going to get discounts. And I want to just go around the table real quick uh, in terms of what discount you would like to get. In perpetuity from Whole Foods, but um, Jason, I got to mention you right before taping today. You walked down to the Whole Foods, which is a couple of blocks from the Fool. Shot a little video. What'd you see? Why not? Yeah, I figured uh, it was right there. It's five minutes away from HQ, and and I really wanted to see if it was you know going to be any anything different whatsoever, or if they just had not got to it yet. And I, and I was a bit surprised. It seems like over the weekend they really put a lot of work in. Um, the two glaring differences are. The number one, there was a big tower of echoes, like right when you walk in, 
in that produce section. I mean, clearly Amazon produce and echoes parking, <laughs> hawking their hardware, and and then that I'm sure will will probably sell a few here and there. But I think to me the more glaring difference, and this is just from having gone having you know having gone to that Whole Foods for seven plus years now, um, th- there is a tremendous focus on pricing in there now. Like before. You know they they would price items and you could see them visually and it was okay and everything, but it wasn't they weren't really so obvious. Now when you walk in there, everything is very very obvious. How much it costs and then furthermore, there's like the yellow circle that says you're saving this much money. So cherries pay five ninety nine a pound. You're saving you know dollar twenty nine or whatever it may be. So that to me was the more glaring difference was this tremendous focus on pricing, which is obviously in line with. Amazon's strategy to begin with. I mean, they want to lower prices and make this more accessible to a greater market. Um, whether it works out or not, who knows? I mean, I, I think that uh, it'll certainly create some initial interest. And if, if that initial interest goes into the store and notices the pricing like I did, uh, perhaps it will bring them back for more because they, they certainly, it seemed visually, I mean, they had changed some things around in the produce section, is that first part. When you walk through the store, that's where you walk in, and it really catches your eye. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just Monday, but but there's a big sign out there touting the relationship of Amazon and Whole Foods now, and so I, I think this is just the first step of many to come. Obviously, as Prime members, we'll get whatever discounts we get, but if you could just have one thing discounted at Whole Foods, what would you go with? Because I'm sort of tempted between like the stuff that you can just buy every day and the the prepared food that kind of thing. Christine, you're smiling. It sounds like you already have something in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. So I lately have made the transition from the honey roasted fresh ground peanut butter okay. to the raw unsalted ground almond butter. That sounds After, terrible. I, yeah. Well, it's not great, but I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm mentally committing to it because I don't want all that sugar in my peanut butter. So uh, I, I would definitely love to get a discount on this almond butter, which is currently something close to $10 a pound, which is a little wow. bit outrageous. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna go in the opposite direction and kind of go for something bad for you. Yes. Um, I, if I could get like just a steady discount on growlers, I mean, every time you go in there, like just get you know 30 percent off of uh, any any of the local flavor beers they're uh, pouring at the tap there. You know, that would be pretty cool. I mean, a perpetual discount on growlers. I think that would probably uh, compel me to go there a little bit more often. Have you ever actually filled a growler there? Uh, yes, I have. It works out pretty well. Um, I will say you, you better plan on drinking that stuff in an evening because it will go flat sooner rather than later. Let's go to our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, looking tan, rested, and ready after a week at the Outer Banks, uh, but back behind the glass. Dan, if if I offered you in perpetuity a discount at Whole Foods, what are you going with? Um, beer. I'm going with Jason. <laughs> Atta baby. Atta baby. So I, Two I would, peas in a pod. I, I was thinking about this, and I thought, oh, I should, I should do something healthy like Christine. I should no. like, like produce or something like that, where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's economically stupid to not buy this type of fruit because it's so inexpensive. But, but I had to go the other way. They've got some, some, sort of small farm premium ice cream that oh. they sell. It, and I forget the name of it, but. Oh, I, the- you're not talking about the the Halo Top, the health ice cream. No, 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 not the healthy ice cream, but like the it's like <laughs> some like it's, an oxymoron. It's like I mean, some farm. Really it's like some cream. farm in Pennsylvania, and it's the most expensive ice cream that they sell there. It's so good, but I also realize if I got that at a, at a discount, <laughs> I would just balloon because I would just buy it every single day. Yep. 
All right, Christine Hargis, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. Check out Industry Focus this week. We will be back here on Thursday. Thursday.